Hey, welcome to the Ignisol podcast, where we focus on interesting products, growth, and business insights. Hi, I'm Jamie, and I'm with Gemma. Today, we're joined with Pep Player, founder of Marketect and Conversion XL, both of which help convert and grow your business. Today, we're going to be talking about conversion optimization, the death of SEO, and quality versus quantity. Uh, so to get things started, um, Pep, do you mind telling us, tell everyone about yourself? Oh yeah, sure. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Here. Um, so my name is Pep, uh, and I'm a conversion optimizer. Um, I run a, a conversion optimization agency as well as the world's most popular conversion blog. And in the past, I've done, I've had an SEO PPC agency. I had a failed startup. I mean, I've worked in real estate sales. I've done a bunch of stuff over the years. Uh, but now, yeah, mostly working with um, mid-size, uh, mid-size or, or bigger um, e-commerce and SaaS companies to help them increase their revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, you're actually a conversion optimization expert helping businesses convert users into customers. I think most people don't start off with titles like, like this. So I'm interested to know your journey and how you got to where you are today. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, well, I used to live in Panama, in Central America, mm-hmm. only because I wanted to learn Spanish. And um, while there, I started uh, an SEO PPC agency, the first in the country, and it was uh, it went really well. It was so easy to lend clients. Uh, cold emailing uh, companies worked like a charm. Um, and then, you know, once I started to work with clients and I got them more traffic, what I noticed was that they weren't necessarily making more money. You know, even though they got a bunch more traffic, uh, that traffic wasn't really buying stuff. So it's yeah. like, well, something's not right. So these people are buy- hiring me to make to make more money, but actually, you know, not sure the ROI is there really. Um, so I then that was back in two thousand and seven when I started to um, look into it and discover that hey, there's something called uh, conversion optimization in this world. And then, um, you know, first studying started to do this for myself and then and uh, once I found success then I started telling people about it uh, it wasn't until three years ago when I actually started my own uh, conversion agency based on the huge need on the market mm-hmm. yeah Sorry, John? yeah uh, so Marketet helps e-commerce and SaaS companies grow by improving conversion optimization services um, what are the processes uh, that you go through, and how do users benefit? Right. You know, with with conversion optimization, the thing to know is that we don't know what will work. You know, we don't know what to change on the website to make more money. Because mm-hmm. if we knew, we'd all be billionaires by now, right? Yeah. So the world, unfortunately, is not as as easy as that. So. So we need to gather data. Any conversion guy who who tells you that, yeah, I know what you know, change this and this and this, and then it will you'll you'll make more money. Those people are full of crap. Nobody knows. Uh, you know, I, I've been doing this for a really really long time, and uh, when I have to predict, you know, when I set up an A/B test and I have to predict which variation will win, I'll I'll get it right maybe sixty, maybe seventy percent of time, and that's like slightly better than flipping a coin. So, so yeah, guessing doesn't work. So we need to gather data, mm-hmm. qualitative data, quantitative data. So qualitative data is we want to hear from the people that we're trying to sell to. What goes on inside the mind of the customer? And there's two ways or three ways really to go about it. One is that you do user testing. 
sue you. So either use services like usertesting.com or you know similar. Or if, if your odd target audience is more niche, then you need to just go out there and somehow recruit people who match your target audience and then have take like 10 to, um, you know, around 10 people is typically a, a good and have them use your website and perform tasks, you know, depending on what you're selling. Like if you're selling pants, you give them the task, hey, find a pair of pants you like and buy them, yeah. you know, and then you just observe them do it. You, you observe them browse through the site and, you know, see if they use search or maybe they don't. And, and you also want to give them a very specific uh, task, you know, find pink pants in size 34, 100% uh, cotton, uh, fair trade, something like that, very specific. And then you, again, observe how they do it. And then you have them go through the full uh, sales funnel, like the checkout process, uh, enter the credit card. And then you'll, you'll find out a whole bunch of stuff, how people use your site, the kind of mistakes they make. And, of course, users are never wrong. It's your site that is crappy if they make mistakes. That's one. Two, you want to survey your recent first-time buyers. So people who came to your site first time, don't have a previous relationship, and they bought something. So a few days um, after their purchase, you want to send them an online survey asking them uh, questions about the kind of friction they experienced on the site. Like, hey, did you have any uh, doubts or hesitations? Or, you know, uh, or rather not whether you had, what were they? What were the doubts and hesitations you had? Mm -hmm. um, what kind of other sites did you look at? Why did you decide to, what made you buy from this site uh, as opposed to other sites? And you also want to understand user intent. Uh, like, what, what was the problem that you were solving for yourself? Sometimes it's obvious if you're buying pants. If you're signing up for a SaaS service, it's more complicated. So basically, you hear from your actual buyers who actually paid you money. And the third part of the qualitative is surveying your web traffic. So you can use tools like Qualaroo. Um, so basically, you put like a, a pop-up survey on your website. Uh, so people who, who are browsing the site, they're demonstrating some sort of interest, some engagement. Like they have, they've had like maybe three page views. They spent like two minutes on your site already. So they're not random traffic. And, and then you say, hey, uh, is there anything holding you back from making a purchase right now? Mm -hmm. And usually, you know, you get a response rate between 2 and 4%. And they'll tell you. And, of course, you need an adequate sample size to analyze it, both for traffic survey and, and customer survey. You need at least 100 responses. And then you'll, you know, that's the answers you get is going to be gold. It's, like, amazing. Yeah. You thought you knew what's going on, but, wow, when people actually say what the you know what 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 goes on inside their mind it's so insightful mm -hmm. and and that also serves as input for your web copywriting because you want to actually copy and paste the actual sentences people use because you want to you know the best way to sell people is to you know put a mirror in front of them reflect uh themselves back to them mm -hmm. so 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 you get lots of uh, good copy ideas and second part of this uh, the the, the data gathering, the research is quantitative, which is usually web analytics. You know, first of all, you need to make sure that everything that needs to be measured is measured. You have funnel set up. Every button click is recorded as, you know, event in Google Analytics or whatever tool you're using. Um, and you, you want to understand in Google Analytics mainly where in the flow, in the checkout flow or whatever, people are dropping off. So let's say you have a four-step. Uh, checkout funnel, you know, um, or let's say, let's take an simplistic example. You have an e-commerce site, so you have you have category pages, product pages, cart, and a couple of checkout steps. Mm -hmm. So, where in this flow 
is the is the traffic dropping off? Is it that they get to the category page but they're not clicking on the product, or, or is it that they get to the product page but they're not adding product to the cart, or is it that they're adding to the cart but they're not proceeding from the cart page to the checkout, or maybe they're not entering the credit card details? What you know? So you need to identify where are you leaking money. Yeah. And so once you know which pages are the problem, now you compare that to the qualitative research that you just did. And you get ideas how to um, how to improve it. And of course, you know there are also best case practices for you know optimizing stuff. But best case practices, of course, they only work you know, basically half the time. You need to test. So let's say that you discovered that you have a form that people are not filling out. They get to the form, but they're not filling it out. So typically, you know, uh, you operate with two dimensions: motivation and mm-hmm. friction. So. Are we communicating the end benefit of filling out the form, you know, adequately? Are we, uh, is our value proposition there, like increasing the motivation? If 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 it says fill out this form and get a free Ferrari, you know, a hundred percent fill rate is guaranteed, right? Yeah. Um, this motivation is super high. Well, you know, typically we don't give away free cars. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, fill out this questionnaire and you get a, a pair of um, free pink pants um, in size thirty-four. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so not very motivating uh, yeah. for most people. Uh, so that's one dimension that you're dealing with. The other is like, how can we minimize friction? So that's you know, if it's a long form, do we absolutely need all the form fields here? Can we like reduce it so it's the cognitive load goes down? Um, also, stuff like use top line form labels, form field labels, as opposed to inline, because it's inline is typically a usability problem if it's more than two fields. Um, you know. If you have asterisks, get rid of them. Typically, people volunteer more information uh, if you stop demanding it and stuff like that. So you you combine what you know from experience, what work or you know best practices with qualitative data, um, and from quantitative tells you what people are doing, but not not why they're doing it or not doing it. Yeah, yeah that makes total sense. It's like you're trying to capture, trying to um, stop. Um points of, of um, abandonment on, on the page, whether that's on the checkout or like um, going through, you know, just r- randomly browsing certain items. Ex- exactly right. And there are, of course, all kind of uh, specialty tools like form analytics tools. So if you have a mm-hmm. form, which specific form field in your form is causing the friction? How yeah. do you know? Well, I mean, inst- you don't have to guess. You can use tools uh, like there's Formissimo, there, it's built in into a Clicktail or Inspectlet. Those are like heat map tools, and heat mapping tools can uh, yield insight. And also these tools like Inspectlet or or our Session Cam, they also have a um, feature called um, Video Session Replay. So basically, they record videos of people browsing through your site. It's without audio, but you'll see what they're doing. Mm-hmm. These actual visitors ready to part with their money, not you know, not as, as it is in the user testing where they're actually not risking with their money. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, those videos also can be insightful. So when you come up with a good test hypothesis for improving a website, you need all these different kinds of inputs, uh, data inputs. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, totally. I mean, like, other, just... Otherwise, you know, you're just uh, rolling the dice. Yeah, I mean, would, um, do you see a lot of people... Uh, just randomly, like doing A B tests, just trying different things without having that that information to go off of. All the damn time, man! And yeah. you'd be surprised, you know. Like we work with some very high profile companies, 
Um, and when we when we come in, usually when they hire us, you know, we perform an audit. We want to see their previous A/B tests, and you know, mm-hmm. we want to understand their processes, how they've been doing stuff. And so I always ask them, so how, what's your process for coming up with test hypotheses? And usually the process is. Hey Joe, what do you think we should test? Test the button color. All right. <laughs> yeah, actually, we do. Yeah, that that's uh, that happens quite a lot, really, because they're just trying different things. But without that information, that core information about, you know, what you're using, what your users are looking at, then it's just it's random, and you get and you get nowhere with that. Ab- absolutely, and you know, if you do, you know. Um, if you use these data inputs, of course, that's not a guarantee that every test will win. It never does. Hmm. Uh, you also need to make sure that your your test hypothesis is a proper hypothesis that has the reasoning in it. Like why the change that you want to test uh, would make an impact. So, for instance, if you're testing headlines, you're testing copy. Mm-hmm. Very copy can be super impactful on key landing pages if you drive paid traffic. Super important. So. So let's say that you, you can ask Joe for headline suggestions and there's some random crap that Joe suggests. Or you can say, hey, the, the research data indicates that these people are really privacy and security. Mm, I mean, they're focused, they're, they're, those are their top concern, privacy and security. So mm-hmm. how can we construct a sentence here that calms their fears, that addresses their you know, uh, anxiety? And of course, there are multiple ways to come up with a headline like that. So you you try different wordings, trying to address the security uh, privacy aspect of it. And if it wins, then you know, yes, see, people really are uh, concerned with privacy. But if you try multiple iterations to different headlines and nothing's like, well, maybe actually privacy is not the most important thing in their mind. Maybe we should try a value-driven headline because see, they're all they have this. The survey tells us that the user intent is whatever, X, Y, Z. So let's try communicating that uh, we're helping them solve the problem that they are you know, telling us. So mm-hmm. we try headlines focusing on, focused on solving the problem that they have. And, and once, if that wins, we have learning. See, these people are value-oriented. They want to you know, learn to uh, solve their problem. So what if now we take this learning and apply it across... Our site. So if it's our checkout form where they have to take out the credit card and part with their money, we'll we'll add a reminder. You know, just enter a credit card and you'll get this benefit. You know, in 20 seconds or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, um, when it comes to um, uh, copy like that, it's, it's it's quite important on on certain pages. And one thing that people get confused with quite a lot that I've noticed is um, people mistaking um, uh, conversion optimization service or COS with SEO that happens I've seen that happen quite a few times I feel like we've heard this um, a thousand times before but when it comes to SEO is is it really dead or are people shifting more towards conversion optimization services you know that's a good question and anybody who, who confuses the two knows nothing about either one yeah, that's yeah, number yeah, one yeah totally. and uh, and so I mean that's okay. I mean, there are always ignorant people about stuff. Well, when we talk about the uh, death of SEO and, and whatnot, so an interesting exercise is this. Now, you, you go to Google Trends, mm-hmm. and in, in Google Trends, type in, uh, for instance, conversion optimization or conversion rate optimization, whatever it might be called. And what, it, what you will see is the trend is up. 
it's like shooting up. Pew! And now, if you remove conversion optimization, you add the term search engine optimization, and you see wah, 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 it's like down, 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 yeah. down, 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 down. However, if you add them both on the same scale, so you see that even though SEO is way on its way down, it's still a thousand times more popular than conversion optimization, even though it's up. So, so we can't say really is it dying? Well, yes, the popularity, search popularity is going down because it's you know it's frankly harder to rank because you know Google has turned off all your black label um, you know opportunities here, black label, black hat. <laughs> I'm drinking too much whiskey. Uh, <laughs> uh, so. So it is in decline, but it, search is not going anywhere. And it is still a thousand times more known, more popular than conversion optimization. So con the prime time of conversion optimization is still to come. And my prediction is that three, four, maybe five uh, years from now, all SEO companies will claim to be conversion companies. And same for pay-per-click pay companies. Why? Because pay-per-click costs are going through the roof all the time, more and more advertisers come to the market, and SEO is getting increasingly harder. If you're starting a new business now, and you want to rank for a keyword, uh, you, you have no chance to compete with sites that have been, uh, have been around for 20 years, you know? Yeah, 20 years yeah, of link building. Really tough to, to compete. Yeah. yeah, right, right. So in order to, uh, so the only thing you need is that you need to be able to acquire customers more efficiently. So, so that is why conversion optimization is going to go up. More people are going to demand it. More people are going to claim that they know what they're doing. But, of course, frankly, conversion optimization is also, there's so much to know about it. I mean, it can get so complicated. Three years ago when I started my agency, I thought I knew this much. But actually, I knew this much. So now I know way more. So, so I mean, you know, it's like Aristotle or whoever said it 10,000 years ago. Uh, you know, like, I know that I know nothing. So, like, the more I am in the conversion world, um, the more the more I know. Like, how much more there is to know. <laughs> the the, right. game, the game does, does shift quite a lot, and, um, and like you were saying, then it, uh, you know, it, it seems to have shifted towards conversion optimization. Mm -hmm. No, um, so yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah. So next question. Uh, recently, Google announced that it was factoring in HTTPS as a signal when ranking websites. Um, that I think this was announced. Ooh, I think it was two, three weeks ago. Um, and in that time, we've seen like many, many articles pop up, and like um, many blog posts and, and stuff like that, um, are fretting about um, sites have got to move on to um, uh, using HTTPS instead of HTTP. I just wondered what your thoughts are on this. You know. Um... This, as with everything, requires thorough analysis. And there have been a couple of blog posts that I've seen where guys conducted a thorough experiment on the, the actual impact of that signal. Mm -hmm. And it, uh, the end conclusion is that it, it's, it you know, basically doesn't really matter at all. Uh, it's, it affects like 0.00%, 4% of search queries. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I mean, you should have your site should be secure. No argue, no arguing with that. And if you use a tool like Cloudflare, it's also cheap and easy to do it. But if you're doing to uh, do rank high enough for all the desired keywords, um, you know, it's not really gonna do the job. Yeah, I mean, we've seen we've seen quite when it comes to this stuff, we've seen um, quite a lot of 
uh, people just doing, just not securing the entire site, just, just securing checkout. And uh, that actually does rank into conversion optimization a little bit because it gives users a safe path. Um, if that's like, if that's what they want, if that's what the target audience wants, because mm-hmm. some customers just, just run for the hills. If, they're like, if they want a, a pair of pink pants and they come onto a site that's over HTTP and they don't have that little secure green lock, they might just run for the hill. Um, so yeah, I, I just thought that was quite interesting in terms of conversion optimization. Yeah, you know, m- most people are not very tech savvy. So if you have the, you know, the, the if you're on a secure page, people actually, most people would not know um, to, how to tell the difference. Is, is this actually over a secure channel or not? So, so I, I, you know, I, I would like to think that people are more savvy than they are, but in terms of security and conversion optimization, what works better than actual security is... Um, is the perception of security. So the language you use, uh, your design of the website, whether it looks secure or not, uh, your credit card form, you know, you, you know, you can you can design it to look secure or it can look, you know, not secure. So that matters more for conversion optimization than actual security. I'm not saying that actual security doesn't matter. Of course it does. Uh, but people are not very tech savvy. Yeah. Um, so over the past couple of years, we've seen um, content marketing grow like hugely. It's, it's, it really is a key part of any site's growth strategy. Was this the idea behind Conversion XL? You know, with Conversion XL, the thing was that I, I got I was interested in in uh, in conversion optimization already. You know, as I mentioned, a few years before I started it. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you know, English is not my first language, so I was kind of hesitant in, um, about starting to blog in English. And also, you know, there's a seven billion marketing blogs out there, right? And also, there was a, quite a handful of conversion blogs at the time as well before we started. So we we I I, I conducted this this um, thorough research about what kind of blog posts do the best in terms of traffic, attention, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And my research showed that the, the, the blog posts that get the most backlinks and the most social media shares are long, thorough blog posts. Uh, it was like 1,850 words uh, to 3,300 words. That's the, like the sweet spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, Lots of images, well structured, so not a wall of text, but like you have a subheadline after every two paragraphs, and no paragraph is longer than four lines. So the formatting of the content. So doing, doing both then, uh, long, really long content, and really well formatted blog posts, uh, is the strategy that we started to use, and it really, really paid off. I guess that's not really the answer to your question, actually. Well, actually, this this ties in quite nicely with with my next question, which is does it just focus on conversion XL? Um, I was going to say that publishing a blog post or article on the web um, can sometimes feel like throwing a bottle into the ocean. Um, so content yeah. can easily just just get a, you know washed to sea. Um, so when it comes to writing, do you think it's better to go for quality um, over quantity? Quality every time, man, because your your quantity blog posts. 
I mean, if you can wrong, write high quality blog posts frequently, like every day, they do that. But typically, it's it's harder. It's a trade off. Yeah. Um, so so always go for quality because if if you write mediocre blog posts and your main goal is then to just publish frequently, nobody needs more blog posts published. Nobody, because there's so many of them. Mm-hmm. People need better quality content. That's what they want. Nobody wants to read mediocre content. And your mediocre, fast-paced content will never stand out. They will never rank. Yeah, it just so it's basically you're just wasting your time. So yeah. rather take the time to write one, two, if you can, really, really good blog post per week. Yeah. Um, and you have to be able to do it over a long period of time. Yeah, because it it's, it's sorry, Kwam. It's easy to do anything once. It's hard to do anything, you know, over a sustained period of time. Yeah, is this? I, I, I this is going back to um, Gemma's question. Um, like, is this what you tried to do on Conversion Excel? You, you tried to um, focus on quality and spend like, you know, a long amount of time to give readers an informative piece of. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, we take, depending on the subject matter, 8 to 16 hours to write one blog post. And that includes all the research that goes into it and all that stuff. Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, and, you know, I described the strategy we picked uh, from the from the get-go, and it has really worked really well. Um, you know, before our, this is now our third year, uh, we're, we have our third year birthday in October, and already in year one, we, we reached uh, 100,000 monthly readers. So it's possible to it's possible to build an audience uh, fast enough if you do good content. Of course, distribution is super important as well. Because if you're getting started, you, you won't rank anywhere because you don't have the backlinks. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need to use all these social sharing sites, whether it's inbound.org or growthhackers.com, Hacker News. Mm-hmm. Reddit, you know, stuff like that. Basically, put the content in front of people that might like it and share it. Yeah, yeah, I totally, totally agree with that. Definitely. So, um, just sort of uh, my next question is actually, I think <clears throat> you've covered most of it. So, the next question was going to be about um, just some quick wins that every blogger should be doing to improve traffic. And you mentioned quality and um, like distribution, getting out on social media. Mm-hmm. Have you got any other tips for bloggers looking to try and increase their Ranking and traffic? Right. Well, you want to spend some time learning communities. So whatever, you know, I don't know what you blog about. Like since I have a marketing slash conversion blog, you know, I spent some time on growth hacker site or inbound.org or hacker news. Mm -hmm. So once you understand the kind of content those communities like, then you can write a blog post specifically with that audience in mind. Of course, it's not a guarantee. But if you write three blog posts for a specific audience, you have very high chances that one of those blog posts, provided that the quality is amazing, will go viral. And once your your blog post goes viral, wonderful things happen because you know, a you get a lot of page views. But page views, of course, are not uh, you know, especially they don't like they don't matter like, in the long run. Yeah, I especially mean, places like Reddit as well. You put something on there and it goes viral. That doesn't it. ultimately you know. Um, yeah, it fizzles out. Yeah. Um, so, but two things that happen is that a if if your site goes viral on whatever sub community in in a, in a small community, you'll get a lot of Twitter action or uh, Facebook uh, shares and stuff as well. If your article is fun, so more people find your um, 
find your content through social media. And there are a bunch of bloggers that do kind of roundup posts, like interesting links I found this week or inter interesting articles. Yeah. So you start to get some backlinks through there. And also, you know, you, you need to be, you need to make sure that you're capturing emails on your site. And my personal learning is that the more mechanisms you have for capturing emails, the better. So have a form on your sidebar, have a form at the bottom of your post, have a pop-up, have a scroll trigger box. Mm. They're not cannibalizing, they're all adding. Uh, you know, so many people hate pop-ups. When I added pop-ups to my site maybe a year ago, I basically doubled the number of emails I capture by 30%. Well, not doubled, I increased it by 30% mm -hmm. overnight. It's amazing. I mean, yes, we're talking probably. big absolute numbers. Mm -hmm. So. People, some people may get pissed off. Well, good luck. Uh, but I mean, I'm making growing my business way faster. So if you do get, go viral, if your blog post goes viral, you want to make sure that you're you're capturing all the emails that you can, so you can bring them back when you send out your weekly newsletters. Yeah, yeah. You, you want to pull them, pull all those people that came to your site back, and like you were just saying, with people who get a bit pissed off with pop-ups and stuff. Ultimately, it's all about helping your site grow, really. Um, and if it annoys a few people, then, then so be it. Um, exactly right. And the number of people that really get annoyed by it, they're not, they might be loud, but it's actually it's, it's not a big deal. Every, every, every time when somebody from my staff says, oh, we're getting complaints, I ask, how many complaints? Well, like, there's like one guy. One guy's complaining yeah. about that box, that model box that comes up. That's it. Yeah, so, yeah. so how many subscriptions did we get today? Well, 75. Well, there you go. Yeah, it's, it's a trade-off, isn't it? Yeah. Um, this, um, this is a bit off-the-cuff off question, but um, what's the famous quote that you draw inspiration from? Uh, I don't remember who said it, but, and I don't even remember the, the exact order of words, but it's basically... I'm super inspired by the success of people uh, more stupid than I am. <laughs> if you see an idiot making a ton of money or whatever, yeah, okay. it's like, man, if that guy can do it, I can do it. Yeah. That's my best inspiration at all times. You know, like if I see somebody, maybe I, uh, somebody I know personally, not that they have to be necessarily idiots, but when I know that that guy is not smarter than I am, you know, that's yeah. that's. Like, that guy is not smarter than I am, and he made a hundred million dollars. Like, I can make a hundred million dollars, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're giving a talk at the Growth Hacking Conference on the 28th of October. Um, yes. What will you be talking about? I'll be talking about the conversion research process that I just described um, at the beginning, this quantitative, qualitative research. Basically, how do you come up with test hypotheses? How to come up with stuff to test? That That's... That's my talk. Yeah, and how can how can people get in get involved? How can people um, get tickets or, or work, where is it best? Oh well, if you search for uh, Growth Hackers Conference London, you'll find mm -hmm. the website and um, hope to see you there, man. Cool. So, have you got any upcoming projects that you're excited to be working on, or exciting things happening at? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, you know. Uh, we talked about the trend of conversion optimization. Uh, so all these agencies across the world, in every country of the world, 
the, their their customers starting to ask them about how to do you know we want we want to do do conversion optimization as well but the problem is most people know very little about it so right now until the end of october i'm not sure when this podcast is being published but if it's published before october if you go to conversionexcel.com slash october there's a free conversion course that you can join uh it's an essentials course and then in november i'll be releasing a, a premium conversion optimization course as well so everybody can polish their skills. Cool, right, that's great. I'm all sure to have this up by uh, before the 1st of October. Well, that's um, all the questions that we have, but uh, thanks, for, thanks for coming along to, to the podcast, Pep, and it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thanks for having me. Right, thank you. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check out more great podcasts over on blog.ignisso.com. <laughs>